Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert. Hey, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining me for today's show. I am excited about talking about things that have to do with money and life. And as you know, the show is called Talk with the Texan Money and Life. Don't forget, you can always send me an email at Troy at TalkWithTheTexan.com or you can always call me on the show at 866-472-5790. Hey, listen, um, you know, a lot of things happen from week to week. And sometimes the weeks are fairly mundane. And sometimes the weeks have all kinds of power activities going on, which are influencing the markets, influencing our lives. And really the last 24 months since this whole COVID uh, virus has taken hold of the world, uh, from week to week, we have changes in the economy and we have changes in the health concerns. And of course, we have every government across the planet making arbitrary decisions about our lives. And the one thing that we have to learn, or at least in my opinion, we have to learn is we have to learn to take control and worry only about the things that we can control. In other words, I can't really decide what the president of the United States decides to put out as an executive order. He's going to do what he wants to do, and I'll have to figure out how to uh, understand, interpret, and work within the confines of that executive order as it relates to my life. But every day when I wake up, I have a decision to make, just like I had a decision to make this morning. I get up, I've got a show to do, and I think, what, what do I want to talk about today? What would I want to hear if I were a listener of Talk with the Texan Money and Life? And in some regards, I see myself a little bit of a motivational speaker because I, I was born that way. I was, I was born on fire. I was born with a, a can-win attitude. I was born with a, a tenacity in me that I have no idea where it came from, but it's got to be genetic. But all in all, really what it boils down to is I wake up every morning and I say to myself, today is a great adventure. Something is going to happen fantastic today. It's how I see it. It's how I accept it. It's how I welcome it. And it has to do with my life. Now, that's one part. So the show's called Money and Life. And life is where I think most of us really are kind of out of, out of balance. Now, I can say that because I have literally hundreds of high net worth investors as partners and clients that invest with my firm. I have talked to literally tens of thousands of millionaires since 1985 when I first started my career in the investment world. I'm talking smart, smart individuals. I'm talking really, really bright people who have been successful with patents and inventions and top tier doctors and manufacturers and designers and engineers and just about every career, famous authors and actors and football players and athletes, et cetera. And one of the things that I notice in all the discussions that I've had, and I mean literally all of them, it seems like the, the goal, the effort of people is how to do a little bit better today than I did yesterday, kind of like moving the, the cart down the path and it, it really has to do with, I find very, very few have ever found that, that balance of peace. Now, in the last couple of years, I've been associated with a couple of groups who really focus on trying to become independent, independent of a job, independent of a career, and more focused on how to absorb or how to at least respect the one ingredient that we all are running short of, which is time. And I know that's a cliche and everybody uses that. You know, there's nothing I hate worse than all these nonsense cl cliches and stuff, but some of them really have a lot of value or meaning depending on how you, you understand it. But for me, time is really important. Time is something that I am really, really focused on because when I think about money in life, you know, I'm really good at making money. I, I'm a really creative guy. I can think about different things to do. I can think about different ways to create value. I was just, it's a, it's a gift. It's a talent I've had since I was born and it's, it's how I built my career. So making money has never been hard for me. But what's been really hard up until about two years ago was having a balance between making money and actually enjoying life. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had a great time. I've had a wonderful life. I've got wife, kids, grandkids. I mean where you really get up in the morning and you just recognize the small things that are out there. So today's show for me 
is about talking to you, the listener, and trying to put in perspective where you're at with regard to uh, money, uh, the time that you have, the realities of how we make, save, and spend the money that we make, and then to think about it from the perspective. So I called today's show uh, Money. It's only a tree with ink on it. Now think about it. It's just paper. All money is is paper with some kind of fancy printing on it. Every year they change it, they modify it so it's not counterfeited. But if you think about monetary money, currency, it's really just a printed piece of precious metal or coins or metal. It's paper with ink on it. But we, depending on where we're at, we value it relative to living our life. So no matter what you do in your life, you're tied to some form of currency. It can be trading two goats for a cow, bartering. It may be cryptocurrency versus fiat currency. Oh, that's fancy words. It just means you're trying to figure out some way to make money based on a new market, a new product, a new asset class. Every time you and I turn around, some financial guru in New York has come up with a new named security, a SPAC, an ETF, an MLP, and they have all these acronyms they've named for it. And what it means is they have to figure out how to generate more fees. So they come up with a new box. They come up with a new widget. They come up with a new trick. They sell it based on its concept, and they get as many people behind that concept as they can, knowing all good and well that maybe the concept they have has fallacies. Maybe it has errors. Maybe it has mistakes. But they're not worried about the consequences because they're so busy worried about the immediate gratification of the fees they'll generate, the ability to lead their industry in that particular new sector, and all the things that go along with being that kind of product or asset creator. So when I think about money in life, I think about you know what it is that we, you and I, the listeners, are trying to accomplish every day when we get up, you know, we get up in the morning, we have to say to ourselves, I've, I've got to go to work. I got a job. I got a career. I got a family. Hey, maybe you could even be retired. So here's how I see my audience. And I've had a few call-ins. I've had people that have emailed me, but my general take, because this is a relatively new show, my general take is my audience is made up of individuals who want to know some little piece of information that helps them make better money decisions or helps them make better life decisions. I could easily be a motivational speaker. I mean, trust me, I could walk into a, an auditorium with a thousand people in it. When I'm done speaking in an hour, they'll probably be crawling off the ceilings wanting to, to do exactly whatever it is I want them to do because I've been gifted with that kind of motivational uh, voice and that kind of motivational compassion and passion. I mean, when I talk, I, I mean, it's with my whole heart, right? And the flip side of that is, you know, I've got a career of almost 37 years in the financial sector. And although it may be somewhat constrained to certain asset classes in the financial world, the fact is I've been exposed on a broad, broad basis to multiple financial sectors. And so I call myself kind of a jack of all trades and a master of very select items. But at the end of the day, I'm no dummy. So I look at the audience that listens into this podcast or listens to the show and I say to myself, okay, here's who I've got. I've got one already wealthy individuals, high net worth investors who are probably $10 million net worth or higher. The next drop down in the listening audience is probably that, uh, what I call they're in the club. What does that mean? Well, they have a million dollar net worth and they're not quite to $10 million, somewhere between one and $10 million. And, and I'm going to get to that in a second. And then the next group that may be listening in are the ones who are saying, look, I just want to be in the club. I'm, I'm young. I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 40s. I'm not a, a dot-com player. I'm not a, a, a tech player. I didn't pick the right stock. I'm working hard. I'm making 50, 100, 150,000 a year. I'm trying to pay the bills. Got a family. I want to know what people that have made it, that have been uh, able to successfully get into the club of being called a millionaire, I want to know what they did and how they, how they got there so maybe I can learn from them. Not only the good things they did, but I want to learn the mistakes they made so I can avoid them. And I want to learn about the mistakes they made that brought them down or the mistakes they made by not going forward because they were afraid of failure. So therefore they didn't move forward and they missed out on that opportunity because those are both equally painful, by the way. I can give you examples after examples in my own life, the things that I, my gut instinct said, this is what you should do, stick with it. And I had outside influences convince me it was the wrong thing and I didn't do it. And I lost out on big, big opportunities and big gains and big profit that 
I just let slip through my finger. The flip side is, is that I didn't exit fast enough on certain assets and investments. And so I got crippled. I got my knees knocked out from under me. Now, the good thing about it is when I think about the three types of people that listen to this show, um, there's a common thread. Now, you got to understand this, this is not a show talking about, you know, how to cook. This is not a show about, you know, how to mold your, your diet and figure out how to lose 50 pounds in six months or less. It's not a show that's going to attract five or 10 million listeners because it's some popular topic. This is about a guy who's started off dirt poor when I was a kid, um, started out a career in the investment world, didn't have a clue what I was doing, uh, worked my way from the bottom up to owning my own investment firm, uh, had my own investment firm for over 20 something years, had the, the pure luxury, had the pure, unbelievable ability to have relationships, very close relationships with just dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of high net worth investors who shared and broke bread with me and talked about their success in careers. And so when you, when you take that kind of expertise and experience and those kind of relationships over three and a half decades, you begin to start to see there's a common thread. And that common thread is the following. People who are successful, it's not by luck. Oh, I can win the lottery. That's luck. I can inherit $50 million. That's luck. Um, I can have you know, certain things happen. That's luck. Okay. So yeah, you can be rich by luck, but I'm talking inherently. The reality is you become wealthy or you become financially independent because you have made your mind up. That is what you want. Now, the interesting thing is you don't really know what that really means unless you're disciplined enough to specifically target right out and mentally get your mind around what does that look like. Now, many of us, when we started off, I had no idea I'd have any money. I'd have no idea I'd ever have a career this long. I just wanted to have a job. I wanted to make enough money to pay for my car. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. And I thought, you know, I'll just work through the system and I'll learn and I'll, I'll work my tail off. I'll give the effort and hopefully I'll end up with the right mix that gets me to the point of success. And the success has to be measured by my own standards. Now, that is one thing I will tell you. Success is not what other people think. Success is what you think it is because your definition defines your satisfaction, which goes back to the point. All money is, is a tree with ink on it. Now, the guy sitting next to you at the red light could have a million dollars cash in the bank and driving a brand new Mercedes. And you think, man, that guy is, he's, he's top of the ladder, man. He's got a new Mercedes. It's a $150,000 car, got a nice suit and tie on. I bet he lives in a nice neighborhood. Wow, I bet he's got a great life. Not knowing that when he gets home, his wife's divorcing him, his kids won't talk to him. He's been working 100 hours a week the last 10 years. He doesn't have very many friends. He drinks like a fish. He's got alcoholism running all over him. And at the end of the day, he's looking at uh, obligations and bills and exposure that might be 5 or $10 million in potential liabilities. But nobody knows that because he, he dresses the part he fulfills that, that vision that he thinks people should see, which is a vision of success. Here in Dallas-Fort Worth, I said this about 25 years ago. I said to me as a young guy growing up in farming country and then moving to Dallas, I said, Dallas has to be the biggest city in the world full of five-minute millionaires. I mean, I used to joke back in the early 90s. I said, you know, you'd have three Mercedes-Benz pull up to a red light. Each one would have a clock in the back dash of their car with a time on it. And the guy who had the, the smallest amount of remaining time was the individual who just bought their car. So if you had 10 minutes, the guy next to you had nine, next guy had eight. The guy with the eight minute, he had the newest car out of the three at the red light. It was who could impress each other, who could live in Willow Bend, who could live in the right part of town and be able to tell all their friends and neighbors, hey, I, I live here, I drive this, I took a vacation to Europe and I did this, that, and the other. So there was a lot of, and continues to be this, how do I compare myself to everybody else that I'm around? And the truth is, nobody cares. I know that's tough, but the truth is nobody cares. Why is that? Because you look at today's world, you know, one week it's Elon Musk is the richest guy. The next week it's going to be um, Amazon. You know, it's going to be uh, Facebook. It's going to be Bill Gates. It's going to be, you know, uh, Carlos Slim. We, I don't know. I don't know whose stock is up or down, but the key is, okay, you're worth $100 billion dollars. I'm never going to catch you, so I don't care. It's doubtful I'll ever be a billionaire, so I don't care. All I know is, is that in money and life, you've got to get your head around what you're trying to do. So let's go through a couple of things. First off, let's talk about really how many people 
really become wealthy that do not have higher education. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I went to school for three years. I went to a South Texas uh, State University down south of Austin. Um, I was in economics and finance because I didn't know what else to do. I had really no career choice, no guidance from my family. I just knew I was good with numbers. I wanted to be around money, and I wanted to get a degree that would give me a chance to be in business. I lived in a travel trailer that had more holes in it than a radiator when the wind blew the curtains on the inside blew. When it was cold, it was freezing inside the trailer. Not crying. It's okay. It made me tougher. I learned how to, how to survive on, on very few nickels and dimes, and uh, it made me a better person, better character. But at the end of the day, I only got about three years in before I quit college in order to get married, move to Dallas to start becoming an investment broker. And when I got to Dallas, I realized I need to go back to college because I want that degree. I want to be able to say I have that, that degree because very few individuals in my entire family have a college degree. So I wanted one. And I had a good GPA. I had like a 3.3 GPA, even though I was working 100 hours a week. But when I got to Dallas and I started in the investment world, I found myself more attracted to learning about investments and assets. And I wanted to learn and I wanted to understand how high net worth investors, how they became wealthy. So I ultimately went back to school for a semester or two, got very close to getting my college degree, never finished. So here I am, 57 years old, thinking the one thing I started that I didn't finish was college. And I don't really have any regrets about it. Would I have liked to have had the degree? Yes, maybe so, maybe no. But, but who all out there has a very successful life that we all are familiar with that doesn't have a college degree? By the way, I'm telling everybody out there, if you're still thinking about it, get that degree because it is important. It's, it's the process. It's the learning. It's the, uh, the acumen of knowing what to do to get through classes and how to bring that all together into one big concentrated skill set, which lets you go in the right direction with the right foundation. So I, I have all four of my kids with college degrees and I paid for it and I encouraged it and I wanted them to do it. They did it because they wanted it. But at the end of the day, it's something I felt like they should have, something I should have stayed with and gotten, but I didn't do it. So when you think about, you know, some people that you might know, that we know, that we hear every day in the news that are very, very successful, but ultimately did not have a college degree, people like Zuckerberg with Facebook, you got Bill Gates, you got Michael Dell, you got Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, Ted Turner, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, these are multi-billionaires, multi, multi $50, $100 billion net worth. Now, the idea is as follows. It's not necessarily the higher education that you may or may not have gotten. So even today, if you're 40 years old listening to me, you still may need to go back and get some college education. You may need some higher education. Maybe you need to specialize in engineering or manufacturing, or you need some kind of a, a skill that you don't have that would really add icing to the cake to catapult you to the next part of your, your career. Now, I'm going to talk to the age of the audience, okay? So I don't know when you're listening to me if you're 28 years old and you're starting your career, or you're 68 years old and you have already hung your coat up and you're ready for retirement. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't plan on ever retiring. I mean, they're going to put me out to pasture because I don't see what I do as a job. I love what I do. I mean, every day is an exciting part of my adventure. And I, I look forward to every day, the things that I do. I'm not a workaholic. I just really enjoy what I do. So it makes me want to do work in the area that I specialize in. But when you think about your age, I want you to think that you always have the ability to get better. You always have the ability to learn more. And what I'm finding throughout the, the hundreds and thousands of high net worth investors is the one key ingredient they have is they are tenacious, but they're always uh, information hungry. They are always wanting to learn. And that is something that is so critical. I mean, you know, I, I look at business after business after business. I look at real estate after parcel of real estate. I read until my eyeballs pop out. And I do so because I want to absorb information to give myself a foundation of reference. So when I think about, you know, one of the things that really drives uh, people that are successful, it's not money. So let's talk about the things that, that are kind of what I would say uh, money motivators that really result in failure, I think, long-term. Now, I'm going to caveat that by saying absent criminal intent. There are a lot of people out there who steal money, they rob money, they do all kinds of crazy things, and they end up living in big houses, driving nice cars, but you put them on a lie detector and you, you know that most of what they did was illegal, unscrupulous, 
fraudulent, et cetera. So absent any criminal activity, we're looking at the average person who wants to become successful and have a high net worth and have value. What are some of the things they do wrong? Well, the first thing is the, the, the motivation that they have starts with power. People relate money and wealth to power. Well, that may be true. Maybe the guy with the biggest jet gets the first spot at the airport. Maybe the guy who can tip the most gets to get in the concert first or gets the, the finest five-star restaurant. Maybe they get to hobnob with uh, politicians and with movie stars and actresses. Okay, so it makes you feel good. See, but I don't see that as power. I see that as pay to play. See, that doesn't give you power. You're no more powerful than anybody else. What you really are is you're using the, the money you've created, the value, the, the cash flow, the net worth you've created to try to create a position in life that is like trying to be first on a six-lane highway as you drive 90 and the entire traffic flow is doing 60. You think by going faster and by making yourself flash and dash that you're going to be the number one uh, car in that traffic. And the truth is there's always somebody ahead of you. And the truth is, I don't even know how many billionaires there are today. They change every single day. I have no idea the average net worth of investors these days because they change dramatically every day. What I can tell you is I'm not going to be number one, number two, number five, number 10. Not going to happen. That doesn't make me any less driven to be successful in my own scope. It just means that I have to have a reality check about my tenacity. What am I, what am I tenacious about? I'm tenacious about certain goals and objectives that I want for myself. And I want to make sure that it's not about power. It's about progress. There's a difference. Both start with a P. One's power, one's progress. I want to make progress. I want to be healthier tomorrow. I want to be smarter tomorrow. I want to be kinder tomorrow. I want to be motivated more tomorrow than I was today, just because I want to make sure that within the health of my life, both financially and physically, I'm doing things that give me the greatest value from the time I have here on earth, right? Second thing that creates motivational uh, result, uh, motivation for money that results in failure is egos. I, I just want to do it. I want to own the biggest house in the neighborhood. Uh, I want to have the biggest car. I want to drive the fanciest car. I want to have that bright yellow Ferrari so everybody sees me pull into the neighborhood. Man, that's no different than people wearing clothes and tattoos and all kinds of different ways they get attention. The, the truth of the matter is, if you're trying to obtain wealth for your ego, um, very, very rarely will that ego sustain itself unless you're a superstar like JC or somebody like that uh, or Kanye West or something. The reality of it is your ego is going to be your downfall because 99.9% .9 of us could care less about you, your wealth, and your ego. You're only using that to stroke your own ego as a result of the things you do and how you calibrate your life. Um, you want to do it to win. Now, this, is, this one's tough because entrepreneurs have to be winners. I want to win at successful investing. I want to win at raising a great family. I want to win at being a good human being. I want to win at each business task that I want to reach the finish line and I want to be at the top of the finish line or at the beginning, or I want to win the race that I'm racing because that's inherent in the nature that each one of us has. Um, narcissism, man, that kind of goes with ego, but narcissism is even worse. Narcissism says, I'm oblivious to anything around me except self. I'm making money because I just want money for me. I don't care about my wife, my kids. I don't care about my family. I just want to know today I am the great person. I, I'm better than anybody else. And that narcissism is worse than alcoholism. At least with alcohol, you can maybe take a pill that makes you throw up. With narcissism, no matter what you say, it bounces off of them because they just can't be touched because their own brain is completely immune to any kind of critique or criticism or self-improvement ideas because they're already perfect. You can't tell somebody who's already perfect uh, how to get better. Now, the reason I'm doing this show today and on the back half of the show, when I get back in a few minutes, we're going to talk about things that lead to success and failure. Now, I know some of you older guys and gals that are listening to the show are thinking, well, you know, I'm already 55, 60, 65. I don't need Troy Ecker to tell me, you know, talk with a Texan. Well, that Texan is trying to tell me things I already know. And I disagree with you. I sit down and talk to 55 to 60-year-olds, and they themselves look like they're a little bit lost in life. I've sold my practice. I've sold my manufacturing business. I'm semi-retired. I'm an empty nester. And I can just see it in their face. I, the spark isn't there. They're not out taking hikes and traveling. They're not doing things. They're not creating. They're not donating their time. They're not using the skills they've learned to help younger entrepreneurs. What they're doing is they're sitting around 
looking at the market, fretting over what's going on in politics. They're dabbling, trying to improve their investments, which is all great. They're playing with their grandkids. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But I can tell you, I've lost a lot of partners. I've lost a lot of very good clients who retired. They stopped thinking. They stopped trying. And their downturn was they stopped using the computer that God gave us. Then you take that next tier down, those that are in their 45 or 50, and they're sitting there saying to themselves, you know, I am doing all I can do. My plate's full. I got kids, grandkids. I'm young. I haven't retired yet. I'm doing the best I can just to create some wealth so one day I can retire. We're going to talk about this in the second half of the show. So I want to remind you, if you want to call in, it's 866-472-5790, or you can email me. Uh, this is Troy Eckert, Talk with the Texan Money and Life. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Talk with a Texan, money and life. To reach Troy Eckerd or his guest on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Troy at talkwiththetexan.com. Now back to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for getting back with me. Now we have a great second half of the show coming up. Let me reiterate where we were at. So first off, the show today is all about uh, trying to feel how you manage, save, and spend and invest money, but doing it with a balance in your life. Because as I mentioned in the first half of the show, you know, having worked with so many hundreds, if not thousands of millionaires over the last 35 years, um, what I find is that so many of them, probably 95% or more, are so out of balance trying to strive to make more money, create wealth, how high they can get up that network tree, they forget to have balance in their life. And I understand they have money and they get to do things, stay in nice hotels, take vacation, they get to buy things for their family. That's great. But balance in life is a lot more about how the quality of your life is versus the uh, physical attributes and, and material, tangible items you add into your life. Having a car full of collector cars don't make any sense at all if you go in your house and you're depressed and you're lonely every night, right? So without getting this into a tear-jerking mode, the truth is I've met a lot of millionaires that are cranky and mean and they're not kind and they, they're not generous and they, they look like they're just miserable. And I'm thinking to myself, if that is how it is going to be to be wealthy with your kind of net worth, I'd rather not be. I'd rather not be that rich. And I'm going to tell you, I, I read something a long time ago. It was in a, in a little uh, Christian book. And the story was just something along the lines of this guy that had run this successful manufacturing business for 30, 40 years had a son. 
And the son always tried to get his dad's attention every day. His dad came home from work every time it was the weekend. And this goes on until the kids, you know, grown up, he's 18 years old. He moves out of the house. He goes to college. He comes back. And finally, uh, the dad says, you know, I'm going to be retiring pretty soon. I'd love to turn the business over to you and have you, you know, take care of your family like I did our family and run the family business for us. And the kid said, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. And the dad says, well, why wouldn't you? He said, I've watched you for the last 20 or 30 years uh, not talk to your family, basically be an absentee father, uh, basically value your company, your money, your wealth, your, your pristine personality or, or perception of who you are in the community. You value that 10 times more than you did the love, compassion, and caring that you did for your family. And so as the story goes, he said, I would rather be broke, mowing grass, doing some manual job than ever be in the business you were in because I never want to treat my family that way. And I, this is like 25 years ago, I read this and I thought, wow, it was, it was powerful. It was powerful because when I thought about that, I thought about that as I raised my own family. I thought, you know, you can make money and you can be successful, but what is it really that you're here for on planet earth? I mean, at the end of the day, the richest guys on the planet won't be here. Elon Musk will take his last breath one day and everybody's, oh, he was a great guy. He did Tesla, blah, blah, blah. And he's worth $200 billion and who cares? The truth is you're trying to leave a part of you in what you do for others, what you do with your community, what you do for uh, your family. If you have a family, what you do for leaving a better planet than what you had today. I know, I know. Stop grandstanding. You guys are all getting mushy-eyed on me. I understand. But the truth is that's how I feel. I feel like that Money really is just paper with ink on it. And you can have a pocket full of it and lose it tomorrow. You can have a bucket full of it and double it. You could have a swimming pool full of $100 bills and it could catch fire. And the truth is that is not how the world is ever going to see you or judge you because no one really cares. It's not their money. Your net worth is not their priority and they just don't care. Although, Many of us think that because we have money or many of us think because we make a certain amount of money or we have a certain net worth, that puts us one rung higher than the guy next to us when the truth is you wouldn't know the richest guy in your church if you sat next to him. I can guarantee you that. I can sit next to some of my wealthiest clients. You would not have a clue they even had a million dollar net worth. And that is the truth of balancing money in life. The show that I've created is how do we learn how to make money in cryptocurrency? I had a, a, a blast this morning. One of my staff sent me a, a little podcast, a guy saying cryptocurrency is a fraud. It's not going to ever work. I go, you know, they said the same thing about electric cars. They say the same thing about shale, shale drilling. They told George Mitchell for 13 years, you're absolutely out of your mind, old man, drilling into a rock formation that is harder than concrete, has no natural porosity or permeability to speak of, will never flow oil and gas out of it. And for 13 years, he essentially was the laughing stock of the oil and gas industry in the United States. And in less than 20 years, his per tenacity, his persistence resulted in the discovery of horizontal drilling and fracking of wells, which put the United States as the number one oil producer as of last year in March of 2020. We had 13 million barrels a day of output in this country, and we did that in less than a decade. Now, let me tell you, you talk about somebody who had thick skin and who could look his peers in the face and they did nothing but humiliate him and tell him he was crazy and he was wasting his time. And I can tell you, I've talked to other billionaires and their presidents who literally laughed at his results and laughed at what he was doing and thought it was the biggest joke on the planet. And today, the horizontal drilling and shell drilling in this country is a complete energy game changer for the U.S. and has made us what we could be energy independent with the right regulatory support. But the truth is we now make 11 to 12 million barrels a day inside the United States when we literally were running out back in 2008. Now I didn't digress into energy, I was making a point. In order for you to be a successful person, you must be true to who you are and true to your vision and your goal. And it won't come easy. If it were easy, everybody else would be doing it. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's talk about the first part. Let's talk about failure. What causes most people to fail? Well, the first thing that causes them to fail is themselves. What do you mean? Themselves. See it all the time. They, the person who is going to try something new, a new job, a new career, a new business idea, it usually is lack of focus. They're all over the board. 
They don't have a defined idea. They don't have a defined plan. They haven't written it down. They don't have it staged. Not, there's no focus. It's, I think I want to do this, and they just plow ahead. Well, it'd be like trying to clean up your garage, and you don't even open the garage door. You just kind of move stuff around inside the garage. Effectively, you've not made any progress. You just kind of reorganize the chaos, and the chaos is still chaos. So having focus is critical. The second thing that leads to failure is the mental part, okay? Mentally and emotionally, I don't know how many people I talk to come to me with ideas and business ventures and startups, and they, they start off with, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to do it, and they rattle, and they talk, and they talk, and I go, okay, let's talk about where you're at in the game. Well, I got to draw a salary because I don't have a job, and I've got to do this, and I borrowed money from my family, and I got to get them their money back, and, and you start looking at where they're at emotionally, and they started off on this long adventure, this idea of a new job, a career, a business, and they got out of the starting gate and they realized they're 20 yards deep into a thick, black, dark forest and they have no idea what they're going to do, how they're going to get there, and they're already nervous. You can see it on them. You can smell it on them. You can feel it on them. And they begin to panic. So they don't focus. They start to have mental and emotional second guessing. They don't get reorganized. They can't conduce and, and contract their, their, their process of labor into something that's going to result in a productive day. They simply spend their tires on wet pavement. They don't have the discipline. I love when somebody tells me, hey, I'm starting a new career. I'm starting a new uh, job. I'm starting a new business. I got a new business idea. And you go, well, really? Well, how about you? Work? Well, man, I'm putting in 40, 50 hours a week right now. I'm cranking, man. I'm, I'm doing it. Really? I can tell you when I first started my career, I'd go to work at six in the morning. I'd get home at nine or 10 o'clock at night and I'd work Saturdays and sometimes Sundays. And I did that for probably the first four or five years. I still work probably six days a week and I'm 57. Why? Because you don't get anything done from eight to five and you don't get anything done by working regular hours. You've got to have that discipline and that drive and you've got to be emotionally prepared that you're going to get bucked off the horse. and You're going to run into a brick wall and somebody's going to tell you no a hundred times before they tell you yes. You don't have persistence. They don't have persistence. Now, what is persistence? Persistence doesn't mean you call me 42 times to sell me a, a carton of eggs. That's, that's a pain in the neck. That's not persistence. Persistence is you have an idea or a product or a service, and you have something that you have to offer that's going to create value for you and the potential customer, and you persist in proving or showing the value that you've created and how it can benefit somebody else, and you look for an exchange between that service, that product, that value generation that you've created in exchange for something of monetary value. So the persistence is believing in yourself believing in your product, listening, listening to critique, listening to subjectivity about how you can improve things, using that to strengthen and better yourself, and then deploying it and doing it again and again and again, not to the same person potentially, but you do it again and again and again until you find the right match between what you're offering and a person who can use your asset, your skill set, or your service, and they recognize the value that you bring to the table. That's important. Okay, This also has to do with retired people. I could give you 20 examples right now, but I need up the whole show where people tell me, Troy, you just can't get that done. I just had a call this morning, exactly that. I'm calling about a lost title on one of my, my uh, recreational vehicles. They, the company I financed it with 10 years ago said, we don't have that division anymore. We can't get your records. It still showed they had a lien on it, which should have been released 10 years ago, but I couldn't get a new title until I had the lien released. What a pain in the neck. Long story short is their average guy who's reading off their script gives me all the reasons why he can't help me and I got to mail it in. And I said, yeah, I'm not listening to you. Give me, give me your supervisor. Yeah, but sir, this is what you're going to have to do. I said, I asked you twice now to give me your supervisor because you don't know what you're talking about. And the average person would have never asked the second time. They would have just taken the information, wrote in, and you never would have seen the title or the results. About the third or fourth time, I finally said, now I've got you recorded three times not giving me your supervisor now, at this point, I'm going to call back and ask directly for the supervisor and bypass you. Fast forward, the story is, supervisor gets on the phone. I tell him what the situation is. He goes, oh, absolutely, the guy was wrong. You can do that digitally online. I can fill the form out for you right now, and I can have it to you in about seven days. So I did that, and I said, thank you. And he goes, by the way, I will be training him. Obviously, he hasn't read the manual and hasn't caught himself up. What's the point? Persistence is not taking the first answer as the fact or the rule or the truth. Persistence is listening to what the other party says and then believing that what you're going to do and the service you're going to offer may actually be right, could be right, should be right, probably is right. But if you're not persistent, no one's going to ever hear you. So you must be persistent. What else is creating failure? Learning to adapt. There's a whole lot of people out there who have eight-track tapes, don't know what to do with them. There's a whole lot of people out there that were selling pagers, didn't adapt to the way pagers went away by the wayside. 
CB radios and all the other technology and all the other things that are out there. And, you know, I used to joke around, say you could be a Walmart greeter, you could be working a toll booth, taking coins, both jobs and careers are gone. If you don't know how to adapt to market conditions and change your strategy, you will be completely obsolete. Because one thing I do know in business, as you create an idea and somebody else recognizes you've created that idea or you have a better mousetrap, they're in the back warehouse making a better mousetrap than your mousetrap. They're coming up with a better way to create a product, a service, a design, an idea, a trademark that will outmaneuver you because they're going to take advantage of you moving the ball down the field, but they want to steal that ball and run it across the line and take the score for themselves. So you better learn how to adapt. I think risk assessment. I think too many people don't know how to assess risk. I mean, don't make, don't make what's called a, uh, a terminal value. Don't do something that's terminal to your life and your decision. Don't bet on one horse. Don't put it all on one horse. And don't do something where you know that your job, your career, your income, your family is completely disastrous. I, I have people that, you ought to bet the farm, your house. If you really believed in your idea, you'd bet everything. Well, that's an idiot for giving you that advice. And you're an idiot if you take that advice. You always have to have enough left to survive to fight another day. Give it your all in effort. Give it your all in your mindset, but you must have it. So I have investors go, you know what? I'm going to sell all my stocks in my stock market, put in this investment. Like, you're out of your mind. Why are you doing that? You don't do that. You, you, you basically measure risk by new facts all the time. Today, what may be measured as a medium risk investment or idea or business venture may turn out to be a high risk tomorrow because something has changed, Right. Look at the travel industry. Travel industry is going great. Then here comes uh, Delta variant. Then here comes the Omicron variant. Here comes the COVID number 20 or 21. And you've got hotels and travel agencies and airplanes and aircraft and everything. And it's totally subject to this virus that the whole world is afraid of, which is a, is a joke in my part. But I mean, it's serious, but it's also a joke. I mean, we've got to live our lives. But the end of the day is if you're not learning to adapt, you're not going to be around. Okay, you've got to avoid those terminal errors. And then the last thing is, as far as I'm concerned, there's not last, but just last item today is, um, you got to avoid the quicksand. What does that mean? Well, when you get in quicksand, they say you sink faster the more you move. When you take a step forward and you think it may be the wrong move, don't panic. Stop. Review. Ask for advice. Seek expertise. Ask that older investor. Ask that older business person, ask that CPA, that lawyer, go spend $400 on a good lawyer and say, this is what I'm looking at on a contract. What do you think? Go talk to a certified public accountant, somebody who's smart in business, say, I'm thinking about doing ABC. How does that look from a tax perspective? You know, I will tell you something right now, everyone you need to listen to me, stop being cheap when it comes to professional skills. Get out and find that good lawyer. And it's not one lawyer. I've got about 10 lawyers one for suing, one for contracts, one for securities law, one for this, one for that. Because like fishing guys, they may know one lake, but they don't know how to fish in every lake. Every lawyer has their area of expertise and you must figure out what you need to hire the right lawyer, to hire the right accountant. Hire a right employee. You can't take a quarterback and make him a lineman. He knows how to throw the ball. He sure doesn't want to get out and wrestle with a 300-pound defensive lineman and vice versa. I can't have my right guard trying to throw the ball. It takes forever to get in the, in the pocket. This is about having the right decision and making sure that you don't have quicksand. Don't move around just for the sake of moving. Don't make decisions based on haste. Let's talk about success. This is more important to me. Now, um, I don't want to run out of time in the show, so I'm going to make sure I'm concise in this. Let's talk about some real meaningful things. I'm going to talk about me. I've got a whole list of ideas of success. I'm going to talk about success. If I had to critique my last um, 37 years, here's what I'd tell you. Took on too many ideas instead of being linear and focused. You know, you think if you do 10 deals, it's better than doing one deal. That's totally incorrect. You should do one deal, that's a winner, and avoid the nine that are not winners. It's about being focused. I got defocused. I was ADD. I'd be in 10, 15, 20 ventures a year. Some would do really, really well. Some would do okay, and some would fail. Those failures were really painful, and they kind of took the, the whole winning side of the table and really reduced it to either a break-even or a loss. In my personality, I thought, you know, with uh, tenacity and strength and aggression and, and work, I could outwork 20 people. And with me putting in the time and the brains and really doing my research, I could be smarter than the other guy on the other, other side of the table. And the truth is, you're not. I can't be smarter than the neurosurgeon who's going to be operating on my brain. He is a neurosurgeon, and I must respect his skill set. And I can 
focus on things that may be outside of the actual surgical neurology that's going to be done, but I cannot tell that neurosurgeon how to do his job. I also believe that you, me, as much as I think I'm a great judge of character, you must have a discipline and due diligence. You must stop making decisions based on emotions. You must ask questions and decide for yourself, are the answers realistic? Don't buy into things because you emotionally go, well, he seems like a nice guy. She seems like a nice person. You know what? I've never met the boogeyman walking the door with a knife in his hand and a mask on. They always get to you because they're the nicest, well-dressed, well-spoken individuals. They don't have a harsh word to say about anybody. They draw you in like bees to honey. In order for me to look back at my career, I have to be honest with myself. I did not have a discipline about setting goals of entry and exit. I was great at entering. I was great, I think, at maturing those assets I invested in or those businesses I started. It was the exiting. It was the part about knowing when to wrap it up and when to exit. It was the part about saying, when is the pecan grow fully mature so the canopies are loaded with pecans and it's time to maybe liquidate and allow somebody else to take the back end, which is the risk of time. Time creates more risk because markets change, right? So when I think about success and I think about what's driven me to success, the honest, the honest truth is for me, my success is because I'm tenacious. I'm telling you right now, man, you can knock my feet out. You can punch me in the nose. You can drag me through hot coals and I'm going to pop up at the other end and go, okay, that was fun. That wasn't the greatest ride in the world. Let's go forward. I'm really, really good at understanding markets and finding market arbitrage. I'm really good about jumping back up on my two feet and going after it. Number two, I'm really good about investing my own money. I don't ask investors and I don't ask, fr I don't ask friends to invest in anything anyway. That's how you lose friends. But I don't ask investors to invest in anything that I don't have my own money in. For me, it's if you're going to tell me to jump out of the airplane, I want to see you go first with the same parachute you packed for you that I packed for me that we packed together. I want you to go out of the plane first. It gives me a whole high level of confidence that you're pretty assured of yourself that you've done the right thing to survive that fall. If you're standing back, hanging on the rail to everybody, go, 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 go. I'm thinking, what if he decides not to go at the last minute because he thinks, I don't know if I packed those last couple of shoots correctly. So I firmly believe in leading with my own dollars. Now, you as somebody listening to me may say, well, how do I raise money to start a new business? How do I ask for a round of capital to expand my manufacturing? So how do I go to my banker and convince him to give me an extended line of credit? Well, walk in and tell him, look, man, this is the way it is. I'm confident this is going to get done. I, I need that money because that money is going to make me more capital, providing more deposits in your bank. You extending that credit is a bet on me. And that bet on me is a 100% bet of 100% commitment to get the job done. In other words, you've got to be tenacious and persistent, and you've got to be able to bounce on your own feet. The other thing I think is, is that you got to be realistic. All right. So, you know, it's, it's like looking in the mirror every morning. You know, I always tell uh, these days, I kind of joke around when I walk in the store, somebody says, Hey, how are you doing today? I said, Oh, uh, great. I'm, I'm uh, getting older and uglier. They crack up laughing. And I go, no, it's the truth. I don't look like I did 10 years ago. I had a lot more hair, a lot less wrinkles. You know, I, I, I'm getting older. I'm getting uglier. I'm just not, I'm not 47. I'm 57. So I just say what other people think. I'm getting older and uglier and I've got a bald spot and that's just life in the fast lane. It doesn't bother me. I can't see the bald spot. It's behind me. What I can see though, is I can see a guy with a lot of experience in the face I have in that mirror. I can see a lot of business deals that were done right and done wrong. I see a lot of expertise that can never be replaced because nobody can walk in my shoes. You, my listeners are sitting back thinking, you got a lot of experience. Do you know that if you're in that, that first group that I said is already a DECA millionaire, you know what you ought to be doing? Have a little fun. Start telling people, your associates at the country club and your business group, entrepreneurs group and your engineering associates say, you know what? I'm here as a mentor. If you've got people who need advice and information, I'd be more than glad to spend some time on the phone and just talk to them about what they're trying to do and share my experience and my exposure, because here's what's going to happen to you. One, you're going to get a lot of self-satisfaction out of it. Two, you're probably going to live longer because you're going to stimulate your brain and stay active and, and feel part of something. Once you feel part of something, you have a reason to get up every day. And the third thing is, 
you might find a hell of an investment opportunity. You might find out a young guy's got a great idea on a new product, new facility, new manufacturing process, a new business idea that you go, wow, that's a great idea. You're looking for capital. I can help back you on that. So one of the things about being in that upper group is you have enough net worth. You probably don't need the money. The question is, how about living life? How about having a balance by doing something that's fun, that's also potentially uh, monetary-wise going to increase your net worth and value, but more importantly, is something that's going to add to your human character, your, your, your zest for life. The other thing is, if you're in that second group and you're sitting around with you know, $1 to $10 million, the question you might ask yourself is, well, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Man, I, I don't know very many people busier than Troy W. Eckert. I just don't. I, I literally look for an hour just to sit down and take a breath of air between kids and grandkids and business and et cetera. And I don't complain about it because I love it. But I take the time when somebody says, hey, I, I got a business idea. Can, you, can I talk to you about it? Sure. What do you got? Now, I got to be somewhat selective or I'd never get anything done. But the selectivity isn't about the idea. The selectivity is about the genuine intent of the person asking me. So I have a nephew. He calls me up and asks me, hey, uh, you know, Uncle Troy, would you mind calling me or talking about this business idea? I said, well, I don't mind, but you know how I am. I'm going to ask you point blank questions. I'm going to be blunt and I'll ask you. And his response was, I'm not going to ask you for any money. I go, I don't care if you're going to ask for any money. I didn't ask you that. So stop being defensive. I simply said, if you're serious, I'll make the time. If you're not serious, I'm not. He called one time, never called back. I've never heard from him since. And so he answered the question. The question was, my time, my zest for life is not worth his timeline, which is come to me, make it, make it easy for me. The answer is no. And if you're in that bottom group today, before we sign out of the show, and you're just trying to figure out how to get it all together, you should be a sponge. You know, use it proportionally. Two ears, one mouth. Listen twice as hard as you talk. But go listen. Go listen to the guy that's a farmer, a rancher, a manufacturer, a doctor. Talk to the guy in the elevator. Ask him, hey, how's life going? How, how are you successful? Be happy for other people. Be excited when they say, hey, this is what's going on. Man, fantastic. Great job. I want to recap the show. And the show is as follows. Money in life. Talk with a Texan. Because why? You can have all the money you want in the world. And it doesn't mean you're going to be happy. You can make all the money you want, and it doesn't mean you have a balance. Balance comes by controlling what you can control. And that what you can control is what you do today, the decisions you make. I challenge each one of you, do something between now and the next 90 days for yourself. Go buy you that golf clubs you never bought before. Go buy you the car you want. Go buy you the shirt you never bought. Go get you a new wardrobe. Do something that reminds you that you're not going to take it with you, but what you can do is reward yourself for having the discipline and having the courage to be an investor and a contrarian. And by the way, reward yourself for listening to one of the greatest shows that's out there right now called Talk with the Texan Money and Life. This is Troy Eckert signing off. Everybody have a fantastic, successful time. Really appreciate you joining me on the show. Take care. Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show. Talk with the Texan, money and life. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him, but most importantly, listen to him. Three decades of expertise at your disposal. We'll see you here next week.